0: Pastor McNeely was talking to us about the meaning of that phrase, the communion of saints. And that is also what the sermon is about, the communion of saints. We also read about it in our scripture lesson this morning, where we read about the love that is necessary for us to have towards one another. We read about where that love comes from, that God the Father loved us, and that's where our love flows out of. Now, this week in Philadelphia, there has been civil unrest, to to put it in two words. Uh, To put it in more words, There have been protests, looting, arrests, shootings, curfew, the National Guard in the streets. Philadelphia means, does anybody know? Yes. City of brotherly love. Yes, Philadelphia means brotherly love. And so when Philadelphia was named, it was named in order to be the, the city of brotherly love. That word is a Greek word, Philadelphia. That's the word that we have in verse 22 of our passage this morning in First Peter. Philadelphia, translated love of the brethren, brotherly love, love of the brethren. So let's stand now as we read this, 1 Peter 1, 22, and going into chapter 2 a little bit. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. Please be seated. Love of the brethren is so central to what it means to be a Christian. Love of the brethren is so central that here in verse 22, Peter says, the Apostle Peter says that we have purified our souls for a sincere love of the brethren. We have purified our souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Now, if I were to ask you why you purified your soul, you might first say, I don't know what you mean by purified my soul. God purified my soul, right? Or you might say, I, regardless of who does it, what exactly does that mean? I'm not quite sure. Well, here we have this statement, in obedience to the truth. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So, what Peter is getting at here when he says that you have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren is, regardless of for a second what purified your soul means, he's getting at the purpose. The purpose of purifying your soul was for love of the brethren, And that's made even more clear when he then continues on and says, fervently love one another from the heart. If that was the purpose why you were purified, okay, was for love of the brethren, then let's go ahead and do it. That's all he's saying. You see? He says, you did it for love, so let's love. Right? Now this is, this is simple on its face. <clears throat> it's easy to understand, you know, if you did something for a reason, then let's go ahead and, and do it, that thing, that reason. Let's make sure that reason happens. It's like saying, uh, you know, since you bought flour to make cookies, let's make cookies, right? This is This is why we did it, so let's go ahead and do it. Well, when we have, when we have uh, obedience to the truth and purified your souls and saying that the reason for that was that we would have a sincere love of the brethren and therefore go ahead and love your brethren, you realize it's got to be talking about something pretty important. Even if we don't quite know exactly what purified your souls mean, it sounds important, Right? Talking about souls, talking about obedience to the truth, the truth, right? It sounds central and it is central. Love of one another is so central that at the Last Supper, Jesus was demonstrating the importance of loving one another by washing the feet of his apostles, the disciples. Do you remember that? He was demonstrating his love, and he told them that they were to what? Love one another. And that that was meant to be an example of how they were to love one another, an example that we must admit we don't quite understand today, since we all have shoes and socks and no dusty roads. Right? <clears throat> we don't do the whole foot washing thing today. Uh, so it's hard for us to quite understand that that was supposed to be a very practical, simple demonstration of how humble and uh, self forgetful loving one another looks. It's just very practical. Your feet needed to be washed in those days. It was, The part of you that got dirty, and so somebody had to do it. It's a dirty job. Uh, It's a job that somebody had to do for somebody else, and there you have it. Jesus, the Savior, was giving himself in love in a practical way to his disciples by washing their feet. Now, we all love to think about the cross as the, the great love that Jesus demonstrated for us, he poured out his life, he poured out his blood at that time. Clearly, there is no greater demonstration of love, right? But the problem with always remembering the cross and not always remembering the, the simple foot washing is that we are not dying on the cross for one another, Right? We like to think that when that great day comes when I'll be able to demonstrate my great love for one for, for my brother in Christ, you know, I would lay down my life. <clears throat> I would I would jump in front of a bus to save somebody. <clears throat> now <clears throat> I was saying at Men's Group this week as we were uh, talking about Pilgrim's Progress, that I'll be happy, I'll be happy if an emergency pops up, all right, if I don't grab somebody and throw them in front of me. And I'm and I'm really serious because it's that deeply ingrained into us to protect ourselves, to love ourselves, right? That we, by nature, will, without discipline, without training, without forethought and planning, what we will do is we will put others in the way of harm in order to protect ourselves. That is our nature. This is why it's heroic when somebody does the opposite. Because we know deep down that that's not natural. That's not... What our nature is, our sinful nature, is to do the opposite. And so whenever somebody does the heroic thing and throws themselves in front to take the bullet, we think, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. Well, Jesus, bar none, did that better than anybody ever could ever will, right? He he poured himself out on the cross in the most heroic way. He is where that story comes from. He is that where that type comes from, right? How did Jesus get to the cross? How did he get to loving his people so much that he died on the cross for them? He did it through preparation. He prepared by washing their feet. Now, I want you to think about that. That was Jesus' preparation almost immediately prior to his Death on the cross. Yes, he was preparing them for it too. But he was preparing himself for it. Peter speaks here of the love that we are to have for the brethren. We read in John thirteen thirty four, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And earlier, or rather, uh, in, in the book of 1 John, the Apostle John writes, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Love for one another is the proof of our love of God. Simple, easy Acts of love for our brothers are the preparation for the big acts of love for our brothers. All right? We are to love our brothers. Now, this begs the question who exactly is my brother? Right? Now, Jesus was asked a similar question, who is my neighbor? And you remember the answer to that one was, who's, who is it? Kids, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Everybody, that's right. There's, the answer to that question is, who isn't your neighbor? Right? Everybody is your neighbor. But this is a little bit of a different question, isn't it? Who is your brother? Now, <clears throat> I watched a video in Philadelphia of a, uh, a little boutique clothing store that was getting looted. And... <clears throat> um, it took less than one minute for the whole store to be looted, ransacked, and destroyed. Okay? And in this particular case, it was uh, a store that was owned by a couple of black people, and it was majority black people who were doing the looting. Now, are they brothers? Does does the fact that they're all black make them brothers? No? You don't think so? Now, I don't bring up Philadelphia. I don't bring up that particular store in order to make you feel good about yourself, you understand. Okay? I bring it up because I want you to ask yourself the question, who is my brother? What does it actually mean? It's it's it is somewhat scandalous that in protesting against racism, in protesting against the way that black people have been treated, that a crowd would destroy a black person's store. Right? That's that's scandalous because there is something that doesn't make sense about it, but it's also the uh, the nature of uh, racial brotherhood that we that we think exists, whether or not it does. Right? We, we see that there ought to be some affinity there, some some love. There there ought to be some uh, some care for one another. Both being of the same family in some sense. Okay, well. You know, you can, start, you can start breaking down the human race into all kinds of different categories. But in the end, there are only two categories. There are those who are Christians, and there are those who are not. And that divides every other categorization that you can make. In every tribe, tongue, and nation... In every people group and skin color, that line divides it right down the middle. And there are some who are on one side of the line, and there are some who are on the other. There are some who are brothers of Jesus Christ, and there are some who are enemies of Jesus Christ. And that is every kind of category that you can come up with. In fact, it also divides families. We are told by Jesus Christ of the necessity of leaving behind our possessions, right? Farms, which were the inheritance. It's pretty. It's pretty serious deal to leave behind your family's uh, your your inheritance. It's it's leaving behind your your family's greatest possession. It's leaving behind your family's identity. Ooh, that word identity is a scary word, isn't it? And it's taking on a new identity, but it's not just leaving behind your family's identity with the land, the town, the people that you've grown up with. It is leaving behind, which is something we don't really have that much of a problem with today in the United States, by the way, but we ought to consider it more serious. We ought to recognize that it's more serious than, than we know. All right? But Jesus doesn't only say you've got to leave behind house and farm, right, vineyards and barns. We're also called to leave behind our brothers and our sisters, our fathers and our mothers, even husbands and wives, end up being divided By that line, those who are brothers to Jesus Christ are brothers to one another, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, right? This is what we saw earlier in the book of Peter, that we have this inheritance because we have been made sons of God. We have been made brothers with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are brothers to one another. This is who Peter is talking about when he says that we are to have sincere love of the brethren. The brethren are the saints. The brethren are the people that we say we believe in the communion of the saints. The communion of brethren. Behold how good And pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together, for brothers to dwell together in unity. That's part of what that communion looks like, right? Now, that family of God, that brotherhood, those brethren, those brothers that we have in Jesus Christ, okay, is so fundamental, that I already got done saying it even is more fundamental the division of who is in the family and who is not in that family okay the family of god that division is even more fundamental than your earthly family of which we know nothing more fundamental in this world there is nothing more fundamental than who is part of your family In this world, and yet the family of God is even deeper. It is even more fundamental. As a matter of fact, the family, the earthly family that you have, okay, is only a picture of. The family of God. There is a father. Yes. There are sons. Yes. What does it mean? It means that there is a family of God. There is a father. There are sons. And we know who is a part of that family and who is not. We are to love our brothers. We're to do so without malice, without deceit, without hypocrisy, without envy, without slander. These are what we see in verse 1 of that next chapter. It's just a continuation, remember? Don't put too hard of a break there. It's one letter. reads straight through. It's only only separated by a couple of sentences. Sincere love of the brethren. That word sincere uh, is the word hypocritical, but with not put in front of it. Not hypocritical love. You're to love your brethren with not hypocritical love. That's, of course, what the word sincere means, right? It's a perfectly good translation. But sometimes it's helpful to see that uh, the negative statements like that. Not hypocritical. Now, that means that... Hypocrisy is actually brought up a couple of times. Hypocrisy. How in the world could you possibly love your brother with hypocrisy? Well, you can't. It is it is completely impossible to love your brethren with hypocrisy. To love your to love your brother with hypocrisy is to not love your brother. It's to act like you're loving your brother. It is to pretend like you are loving your brother. And we are very good at being hypocrites, which means we are very good at pretending to love our brothers. It's simple to pretend to love your brother because it's simple to serve yourself. And that's what hypocrisy is always doing. It is serving yourself. So now, if I speak to you of your earthly families, your earthly brothers, Moses and Tate, Liam and Judah, right? Hugh and and Moses. And we've got all kinds of brothers in here, right? Got Zeal over there. I I see James. Okay, we've got, we've got earthly families. We've got brothers. And I say, now love your brothers. Love your brothers. You know who I'm talking about, right? Love your brothers. And I say, okay, now let's talk about what that looks like. What does it look like to love your brother? And let's say we we make it concrete. Let's make it let's make it be real things that you can do. Like you know you're making a sandwich for yourself. You know your brother hasn't eaten. Uh, why don't you offer? Hey, you want me to make you a sandwich? That's loving, right? Wouldn't that be be kind and loving? Wouldn't that be considerate of your brother? That would be great. That would be a way of loving your brother. This This is how concrete and simple the act of foot washing is that Jesus does. It's not some super spiritual in the sky, you know, grand, throw your life away in order to save your brother, jump in front of the train or the bullet. It's just Making a sandwich for your brother because you think, yeah, he's probably hungry too. And I love him. I'll serve him in this way. I'll make him a sandwich. So love your brother. Love your brother. Now, that requires you to think about him, doesn't it? And not just always think about yourself. And that takes a lot of hard work and a lot of practice. Because it's the most natural, easy thing in the world to only ever always worry about number one, me. Or, in your case, you. That is what we do all the time, easy as pie. And here's the thing. Even when we begin To take concrete actions in thinking about others, often it is hypocritical love. Often it is because we begin to worry what other people are thinking about us, and so we think, you know, they might think that I'm a selfish jerk if I don't ever ask how they're doing, so, you know, I'll start asking how they're doing. I don't want to have the reputation of being the only one who doesn't notice that uh, the... Dishes need to be done, and so I will now do it out of love for my mother. Out of love for my brother. I will now do the dishes. But is it out of love? Or is it hypocritical love? Is it because you're actually still just concerned about yourself? This is what Peter is saying. It cannot be. It cannot be love it cannot be a demonstration of love that is actually about getting something for yourself then it's not love that's not love of the brethren so if you think about that being uh, obvious in the home like <clears throat> two brothers are in the kitchen hey you make me a sandwich too make your own stupid sandwich mom walks in oh uh, hey uh, you want a sandwich it's blatant obvious hypocritical love right we know what that can look like when it's when it's that when it's that blatant all right and and what we do as we get older as we mature as we grow up as we get better and better and better at what at loving one another or at making it less blatant when we're being hypocritical? Which way are you maturing? You see how opposite those are, those two different ways of maturing? Growing up in maturity in sin, well, we're told to be new babes. Babies have no idea how to be hypocritical. It's too complex to be hypocritical for a baby. You know, I'm hungry, I'm going to cry. I don't feel good, I'm going to cry. I like looking at your face, I'm going to smile. This is... This is a baby. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Having put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We're told to be... Uh, as to sin. Ignorant. We're, we're not supposed to know anything about sin. Immature with regard to sin. No hypocrisy. Now, bring, bring the picture of what love for the brothers, actually looks like in the earthly home and bring it into the church. okay? Because remember what we said, when he talks about the brethren, he is talking about the church. He is talking about Christians. He's talking about the saints, the communion of the saints. We are to love our brothers. Now here is... Another passage from 1 John. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. Now, I just want to point out again, going back to what I said before. Remember how I said it was fundamental that that we love one another? He, He puts it so much at the core of the faith of what it means to be a Christian. Here it is again. This is the message which you have heard from the beginning. What do you think is coming? I mean, it's the gospel, right? The the gospel message that you have heard from the beginning is, Jesus loves you. Well, yes. But that's not what comes. Here it says, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Why? Well, God first loved us. So yeah, I mean, they're that, they're that closely tied together. God loved us, we must love one another. But this is, this is where it gets crazy in the book of 1 John. Listen to this. We should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. Now what does it mean to, that, that Cain slew his brother? You kids? Yeah. He killed him. Abel was slain. His brother slew him. He ended up dead. We should love one another, not as Cain, who is of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. John must not think very highly of us and our love. (laughs) Now, love one another. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. It's the start of the gospel. Love one another. And don't do it like Cain. You know, like, what? (laughs) But this is this is how basic we need to be reminded. Like there is there is not like uh, there, there's not this you know this this good kind of love and this not quite as good kind of love. There is love and there is hate. There is love and there is hypocritical love, which is as I said before, not love. They're worlds apart from one another. What was Cain like? Cain was a man who was worried about himself. His deeds were evil. He was worried about himself. His deeds were evil. But more than that, his brothers were righteous deeds. And that is precisely why Cain killed him. Now here we come Back to the church. And I ask you, is it a temptation for you to love your brother like Cain? It seems outrageous. How could I view my brother in Christ like Cain viewed Abel? You will. That is how you will view your brother in Christ unless... Your deeds are righteous. Because the moment your deeds are evil, you will hate your brother whose deeds are righteous. Nobody can stand someone who is doing good in contrast to their doing evil. When you're being bad and your brother is being good, you hate him. It's automatic. And that is why we are warned by John not to love like Cain loved. That's why we're told by Peter to love not hypocritically, to love sincerely, to love earnestly. Earnestly. When you hear advice for how to write, Often one of the things you'll hear is, cut out all the adverbs, right? It, don't put in so many adverbs. All the words that end in ly are adverbs, kids. Okay? Just leave the punchy verbs and nouns. All of a sudden, Peter here is adding adverbs, They're important when the word, when when the, the noun and the verb need to be reinforced. Sincerely. We are to love our brothers sincerely. Now, there's all kinds of ways for you to love your brothers in the church. Okay, Very practical, down-to-earth ways of serving one another. We're given commands related to how we're to love and serve one another all through the New Testament. Okay, We are to <clears throat> pray for one another. We are to make sure that everybody's physical needs are met. We are to exhort and encourage one another, as long as today is still called today. Which means forever, kids. Because today is always today and never tomorrow, right? Something that takes a little bit of getting used to once you get it, then you can understand as long as today is today, you're supposed to love your brothers in the church by exhorting, encouraging, caring for one another. We are to love our brothers sincerely, though. In other words, you can't just say, oh, so-and-so had a baby, I'm going to make them a meal and take it over to them, that's great, that's practical, that's washing the feet of the saints, right? It is love for the brethren. It's also entirely possible to do it without sincere love. It's entirely possible to do it with hypocrisy. It's entirely possible to do it vindictively. It's entirely possible to do it out of hatred, now, you might think that sounds crazy. How could you make a meal for somebody out of hatred? I say, well, it's probably not going to be exactly out of hatred for that person, although that might be the the uh, you know the piece de resistance, if you can really find someone who you can stick it to by taking them a meal. Right? <laughs> well, after all, isn't that how we think of, you know, pouring, burning, heaping burning coals on our enemies' heads by... By loving them, well, uh, by by hating them and pretending to love them, or by loving them, you see the difference. So, so you can demonstrate your great love by making a meal and taking it to somebody in wonderful contrast to that slouch over there who never does bother with that. Right? Isn't that that great? You get to feel so good about yourself in comparison to your brother in Christ who is sadly, scandalously unloving. Or you can show mercy in, in, in contrast to the person that only ever cares about the truth, I am going to show love and demonstrate my superiority in the church so that everybody may see in the congregational meeting as I stand up and advocate for mercy. Now, you guys cannot may not, must not think that this is crazy. This is what we are being told we must not do by Peter. Is Peter an idiot? Or is he inspired by the Holy Spirit to warn us against these saints? He is inspired. <clears throat> this is God warning us against love that is hypocritical, love that is insincere. Love that is not fervent, that is not earnest. Now, if sincere was hard, fervently is harder still, isn't it? Fervently. Any you know, of you kids know what fervently means? Can I get a definition of fervent? Hmm. I should have looked up a definition. I'm going to have to make one up on the fly. No kids are going to help me out? Fervently. Yes, Liam. Purely? Yeah, that's a... That, yeah, Tate, you want to add to that? What's that? Adoringly? Yeah, these are these are starting to get at it a little bit. Uh, fervently would be... Um, uh, a combination of sincerely and energetically that's how i would that's how i would on the fly try to define it <clears throat> fervent means it comes up out of your heart it has fervor with it so so it's got that it's got that zeal that spirit that comes with it it's not it's not like okay now i'm going to oh a deep breath i can do this i'm going to love my brother I'm gonna go and I'm gonna talk to him. I can do this. I've been meaning, I know he's been needing me to talk to him. I, I've been seeing his sin. I've been needing to warn him against it. I know he needs to be warned against it. So okay, I can do this. That's not fervently. And then and then to the brother. Uh, so <clears throat> yeah. Uh, um. How how's the game last night? Didn't quite have enough fervor to get go through with it, right? Not quite enough love there. Well, there's one last word I want to add to this, and that is permanently. Love your brothers permanently. I will not talk permanently, I promise. But you must love your brothers permanently. Now, why do I say permanently? Permanently isn't in the text. That word isn't there. But here is... You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. What was the Word of God? What was declared to them from the beginning? Love one another. That's what we saw in John, right? First John. <clears throat> Why are we to love one another fervently from the heart? Because we have been born again not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. As long as that seed is within you and growing, you will love your brother. It will not end. If the inheritance that you are receiving is imperishable, the seed planted in you is imperishable. If the seed planted in you is imperishable and continuing to bear fruit, the fruit that it will continue to bear is the fruit of love. And therefore, your love of your brothers is permanent. Now, one of the ways that you can see this not happen is when people who have been in the church all their life uh, finally run up against something they don't like, and that's the end. No more going to church. No more fellowship of the believers. No more communion of saints. No more love of the brethren. Only bitterness remains. And that is how their life ends. In anger and bitterness at their brothers and sisters in Christ. And thus the seed was not bearing fruit. And you must be warned against that. Turning away from the church of Jesus Christ out of lack of love. Because love does not run out. Love does not perish. Love of God's people is the defining outward feature of the Christian. It's that central that... John says, that's what you were taught. That was was the message you were given. Love one another. That Peter says, hey, you've been given an, an imperishable seed, therefore, you have to love one another. But the permanent love that we are speaking of, is also uh, something that we're going to see throughout our life, not just whether it's still there at the end of your life, right? And what I mean is, um, all of these fervently, uh, without hypocrisy, sincerely, permanently, all of them are... You know, you have them all or you have none of them. Because if you've convinced yourself that you love your brother deeply and you, you, just, you just have such feelings of, of love, and that's really what is causing you to, to serve him today, it's just out of great love that you have for him that you're serving him today. And then he's not thankful. Uh Oh, and now you don't have those feelings anymore? And all of a sudden you're mad at him? Then let me ask you, were you doing it of love? Was it sincere love? Was it fervent love? If it wasn't permanent love? You get what I'm asking? If your love can be stopped cold and turned off like a faucet because the person didn't respond the way that you wanted them to or that you were expecting them to, was it actually love in the first place? Love is permanent. Parents. That doesn't mean that you can't discipline them for responding inappropriately to your love. But it does mean that you better be responding with continued love. You see what I'm saying? This love is permanent. It's as permanent as the Word of God is. And God's Word is eternal. It will not fade away. And so love between the brethren, between the brethren, between the saints, will not fade away. When we get to heaven, there's going to be love. It'll be great. All the hypocritical love will be gone. All the fake lovers will be gone. All the bickering and fighting about who's the greatest... We'll be done with, and what will be left is love for one another. And it will be good, and we'll dwell together in unity, in love, and it'll never end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know our lack of love. We know our selfishness. And we only know it a tiny bit compared to how you know it. You see into our hearts, Father. You see how quick we are to be hypocritical. You see how often our love grows cold. You see how slow we are to serve and care for one another. Father, we thank you that there is an imperishable seed within your people. A seed that will grow up and produce the fruit of love that Peter speaks of here. Father, if your word is true, there is hope for us to increase in love. Father, help us to love one another more. We pray in Jesus' name.